documented 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. As Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. Do you want to know what the... Because I've been in these discussions. Do you want to know what they say when they look at each other? What a great recipe for war, ain't it? That's what they say. Have the term. So when... You know where I'm going with this. It's a UFO thing. Yep. It's a UFO thing. It's, it's implanted ideas and suggestions and gamesmanship. It's a chess game. Trying to beat the, we're trying to beat the chess game. Today on the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast, I present a little segment from a panel that was held last week, hosted by Alan Steinfeld from New Realities. Uh, he called it the All-Star Panel. Daryl Anka, Carolyn Corey, Mark Sims, Danny Sheehan, Grant Cameron, and Sinead Wellahan. And I want to play today a segment of that, which is uh, Danny Sheehan uh, talking about um, his discussions uh, with the Inspector General in the Department of Defense. It's a little bit of uh, new stuff. Uh, I ask a question of him uh, to try to uh, get more detail as to which departments inside the Inspector General are involved in. Uh, whether he believes that um, this is going to be effective. There has been some criticism of Danny Sheehan in the, uh, since he came public and stated that he was Lou Elizondo's lawyer, that he is um, sort of talking too much and that um, he um, people are surprised that he's saying what he's saying. Uh, but I would keep in mind that uh, we should also always listen to the lawyer that um, to be critical of the lawyer, especially if you're the client, and um, discuss things. Uh, the idea that um, things are going to be quiet, Danny Sheen even spoke of this, that the Inspector General wants everything to be kept quiet, uh, which I'm sure Danny Sheen isn't going to go along with because that's uh, always a game that people want to play. Uh, we had we, we used this uh, extensively all over the place. You even have um, Donald Trump using uh, non-disclosure agreements uh, being signed by everybody in his campaign, everybody in the White House, everybody that worked for him. And this is this idea that um, everything stays inside house. Uh, nobody talks about what's going on. Uh, an example that Danny has already always brought up um, is this idea at Harvard, that Harvard also wanted John Mack to keep quiet about the discussions that were taking place. And it was at that point when um, uh, Danny Sheehan heard that um, John Mack was having discussions with them 
And according to Mac, what Mac thought was they were just asking him questions. And of course, the lawyer in Danny Sheehan basically told him this is not what's happening and became public about the fact that they would have a, a bunch of people testifying and that stirred it all up. If that had not happened, um, John Mack would have lost his job. Uh, and I know that because I worked at the University of Manitoba in a uh, similar environment. And I know that uh, the university uh, always wanted everything uh, to happen behind closed doors with nobody talking about what was going on. Uh, they didn't want to have any sort of discussion or negotiation happening on the front page of the newspaper. And so um, they would always have a situation that when people got fired, they would always be bought out. And it would come along with a non-disclosure agreement, which would mean that people were not allowed to um, discuss the final agreement and what was negotiated and um, what the university might have done wrong. So we even had a situation when I was at the university where uh, my boss and I gave an interview to the uh, university newspaper. Uh, I was very hesitant to do it, and I remember once the interview was over, uh, public affairs uh, found out about it and was absolutely furious that nobody's allowed to speak on behalf of the, of the university uh, because they have a public affairs office that knows how to answer questions and how to uh, handle people who are probing on different things. And I remember my boss phoning me up and saying, we're going to get fired. And I said, we're going to get fired because I really didn't hadn't agreed to the interview. Uh, but that's what happens is everything wants to be sort of uh, behind the scenes. And that's what the inspector general had requested is that this all be sort of kept off the record and we'll quietly talk behind the scenes or whatever. And the UFO situation, the only reason anything is being done is because Lou Elizondo uh, became like a, a whistleblower and started to talk about things that normally he shouldn't have talked about. Uh, Secrecy does nothing but uh, enable the other side to keep this thing secret. And the more exposure, the more people we have talking about this, the more pressure is on the government to actually do an investigation and give us answers of what's going on. Um, now, there's questions that were the questions were put to Lou or to um, Danny Sheehan in this um, interview that I'm going to play here in a second, where Danny talks about this. And um, he talks about um, what's happening behind the scenes, uh, the different uh, organizations or departments inside the inspector general who are involved, why they're involved, and that this may actually cycle uh, into more investigation. Uh, right now, they're just evaluating what's going on. But um, Danny Sheen pointed out this whole thing about uh, being open and questioning is the more pressure, the more pressure people put on for open answers and to demand an answer, the more you're going to get. If everybody just stays quiet and allows them to sort of shuffle this thing under the carpet, uh, that's what they'll do. The only thing that uh, puts pressure on the government is uh, pressure to be open and to stop keeping secrets. Um, and so we have a lot of these things where a lot of times people sort of misunderstand um, the situation of what's going on, and you always, have, I think, have to be skeptical of big organizations or even small organizations. I'll give you the example of um, my friend Angela Joyner, who um, lost her job because of the Stephenville uh, sightings that she investigated in 2008. Um, she and I had a discussion after that, and she said, no, I, I don't think they really fired me. It was just sort of a, we decided to part ways. 
And what had happened is she'd given her two weeks notice. Uh, she was under great pressure to stop answering the phone, to hang up on the people who were doing the UFO stuff. And um, so she uh, resigned, but two weeks, uh, gave two weeks notice. After one week, she got called into the office uh, and her computer and her Rolodex were in a cardboard box and she was asked to leave. And I said, in Canada, when that happens, that's called getting fired. So she uh, had this um, situation where um, they they wanted this thing handled quietly, and um, uh, this happens all the time. Danny Sheen gave a, an example in an earlier lecture where uh, the reason he got involved in this whole thing, got very interested, is he had done a um, been involved as a brought into as an advisor to two studies done for Jimmy Carter by Marcia Smith, who was the head of um, science uh, aeronautics at the Library of Congress, and she was doing two classified studies on UFOs and extraterrestrial intelligence for Jimmy Carter. Um, Danny Sheehan had been brought in to give a lecture to the top 50 scientists at JPL on the religious implications of the discovery of extraterrestrial life. He asked Marcia Smith to uh, see the classified Blue Book files. She didn't think she could get them, but the next thing he knew, he was in the basement of the Jefferson Building, which is one of the three buildings of the Library of Congress in Washington, and he was looking at files and happened to see a photograph of a crash flying saucer with U.S. Air Force people around it and became fascinated in the whole subject. And um, Marcia Smith, according to Danny Sheen, was not happy because Danny went public with the story, and um, this is um, what, what happens, and he figured... What's the point? I mean, if if, um, if I see something, I'm willing to tell everybody. But the way government works is people want to um, have this thing played out quietly behind the scenes. Uh, and that's exactly what we don't need. We need more and more pressure to uh, force them to deal openly and to explain what's going on, what investigations they're doing. So here's Danny Sheehan talking about the uh, IG investigation. Uh, this is from a week ago, and this was at the Mega Conference in Laughlin, Nevada, and he was there with uh, Mark Sims. I asked him a question, and um, a number of people are sort of uh, jumping in. Here's Danny Sheehan talking about the Inspector General investigation on the UAP task force on the um, threats against Du Elizondo, the uh, all that kind of stuff. And he seems to indicate there are four different... Uh, uh, sections who are now involved in the discussion, which hopefully will become an actual investigation. How are you going to lay out the fact, here we have people ambassadors to ETs, how are you, are you going to approach that? What's your strategy going to Washington and talking about this? Well, a, a, lot, of it, a lot of it is to try to have uh, diplomatic relationships between the UFO community and our government. Uh, to begin with, I mean the the uh, the formal structures of the United States government have been for you know, 75 years in this posture that this just isn't true, uh, and that if anybody tries to say that it's true, they're going to be excoriated and attacked and discredited. Uh, and now, for the first time, uh, they are being pushed into a situation where they have to at least pretend to be, quote, evaluating it, uh, as distinct from investigating. They haven't admitted they're going to investigate it yet. They're just evaluating it. So uh, what I'm trying to do is establish diplomatic relationships uh, with the people inside the United States government who are in the process of trying to figure out what to do about this right now. 
they feel that they've been pressed uh, by, by Lou Elizondo uh, and by, uh, by Chris Mellon, uh, particularly. I haven't revealed these videos, mm -hmm. uh, which are not by any stretch of the imagination. The best Ellen, people are asking who this is. And, and I, I sorry, this oh. is Danny Sheehan. This oh. is Louise Elizondo's lawyer. <laughs> He's our guy going to Washington to present the fact that, yes, we are being visited. They're not Russian or Chinese. They are so they are these other beings. So Danny Sheehan, people, the people's lawyer. So go ahead. Well, Danny. It's just that I was a legal counsel for the Disclosure Project uh, back in 2001. I was legal counsel for Stephen Bassett's uh, Citizens Commission uh, to vet different witnesses that would be presented to the Congress. And I've, I've uh, brought hyperlinking military officers to their congressmen and senators mm -hmm. to present their direct knowledge about this and try to get them to respond to it. Uh, I've, I've never been convinced that the best policy is to be trying to get the people who are hiding the information to reveal the information uh, we're talking about. I think that obviously the best the best evidence from a strictly lawyer view is to have you have the experience yourself. Right. Uh, and I was I was directly involved in the citizen diplomacy program of reaching out to uh, Gorbachev uh, back when he was just Secretary of Agriculture in the Soviet Union, uh, setting up a diplomatic uh, communication between him as a citizen and uh, and our citizens to try to persuade him to undertake Glashnost in Paris, Troika, which he did. Uh, and my staff person, I was chief counsel at the Jesuit National Headquarters uh, in their national social ministry office, their public policy office. And my staff person ended up becoming the president of the Gorbachev Foundation. And the Gorbachev Foundation set up a whole series of uh, meetings with former presidents and secretaries of state and secretaries of defense to try to discuss having a new more modern paradigm a new more modern worldview and we as discussed in some of those meetings the implications of contact with an extraterrestrial civilization and extraterrestrial beings uh and it, that whole process was underway when 9-11 occurred uh and so that i'm i'm a great believer in citizen diplomacy i'm a, a great believer in trying to kind of get out around the institutional structures of a national security state uh, that that, uh, that insists upon perceiving uh, the ET phenomenon strictly in terms of whether they're a threat to our national security or whether they're violating our airspace or whatever the other panoply of, uh, of sources of anxiety they have. So, so no, but how how close are you to saying? Guess what? There are people having contact that they're here, that they're intelligent, they're they're here to help. I mean, well, it's it's uh, it's interesting. The, the the latest lengthy interview that we did, I I participated in with Lou Elizondo, whom, as you probably know, was the head. Uh, he was the executive director right. of the uh, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Project in the Pentagon. The, the, the latest lengthy interviews I've had, for example, with the Associated Press with Lou. Uh, is we, the key is is getting Lou uh, to tell what it is that he believes to really get him to to utilize his stature and status as the person who ran the investigations uh, to come forward to the people and talk to the people about it. Uh, so what we're trying to do is trying to figure out the parameters inside the Defense Department right now what what the protocols are with regard to being able to talk about this uh, because we're hoping to get to get Lou and Chris Mellon and other people that are had been inside these programs 
to be able to come forward and share their own judgments uh, about this at this point. And, uh, and in, in the latest interviews, which have not been public yet, but uh, that Lou has, Lou has uh, been emphatic about the fact that he has a, in, in, in intelligence language, a high degree of confidence uh, that these vehicles are not Russian and are not Chinese. Uh, and that, that, that may seem to people who've had the direct experience and who are channeling mm -hmm. extraterrestrials, et cetera, that may seem an awful long ways from the ball. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, of, 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 of just saying they're not Russian, they're not Chinese, but it's extraordinarily important to to marry that particular position with the assertion on the part of the United States Defense Department that these are real vehicles uh, and the statements being made allegedly in the report that's coming up uh, that they're not ours. That these are not our technologies. Uh, so if, if they're not our technologies uh, and they're not Russian, they're not Chinese, then the question gets posed is, well, what are they? Uh, and when you can get people from inside the government structure starting to articulate what it is they have been talking about inside government circles about what these beings may be. And you start hearing them talk about the options being extraterrestrial, extra dimensional, uh, or some extraordinarily sophisticated uh, aspect of the human species that live underground and have come from some ancient time and they've lived underground for lengthy periods of time and that they come out from under the ocean and these vehicles. You know, to have that kind of a conversation going on inside the United States Pentagon uh, and now have in interviews with the Associated Press and in the New York Times, et cetera, is, is in fact a substantial advance uh, for people who've been having the experience, uh, you're, like yourselves, who've been attempting to try to communicate to people the importance of these kind of experiences. So that there's this extraordinarily fluid time going on right now, uh, pursuant to which there's a, a whole set of evaluations going on about what to be done about this experience that people are having and, and about this phenomenon. So it's a, it's a pretty extraordinary period. It's an amazing time, and you're really our guy in Washington. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say, like, it's, 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 do you feel like pressure or you feel excitement that you are central to this whole disclosure phenomenon? Well, I, I don't know. I'm not. You're I, I've been I've been in these places a lot. Uh, you know that I represented the New York Times in the Pentagon Papers case to to publish all 47 volumes of the classified mm. uh, reports. I was you know after the Bailey's office, we represented James McCord, mm. who was the lead wiretapper for the wire the Watergate burglary, who wrote the letter to Judge Sirica blowing the whistle on Nixon. Mm. You know, so you get sort of used to these things in, in a certain sense. Mm. Uh, but but in, in this particular case, that uh, Lou Elizondo asked me to be. His his legal counsel, knowing that I was legal counsel to the disclosure project, right? Knowing that I was legal counsel to the to the Citizens uh, uh, Commission on uh, on ETs and extraterrestrial life, and he knew that in fact I was the one that worked with the New York Times to get exposed these alleged national security right. top secret thing. Right. So he knew that in coming to me. So that there's this dynamic that's involved in my relationship uh, with him that has to do with lifting up this information and getting it out to the people you, of the world. Do you think you can yeah. push it enough so there will be congressional hearings about this if the Elizondo case it's, gets it's, out there? Yeah, but I mean, I, I've also had a lot of experience with congressional hearings. I mean, congressional hearings are seldom real. Uh -huh. You know, there are always these dog and pony shows. They've already gotten figured out what the questions are going to be. They've already had to submit their written answers or else they wouldn't get to testify. Uh -huh. You know, there, there's a whole set of choreographing going on 
you know, with people in both political parties kind of jockeying for time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there. It, it's not the, the be all and end all. Uh, but but yeah. on the other hand, in the same way that people got much more responsive to this issue after the New York Times right. said that it was true. And even more people got involved when 60 Minutes said mm-hmm. that it's true. Right. So if you can get the United States congressional committees and have C-SPAN broadcasting it around the country and and people, especially in the summertime. Yeah. You know, they, we, we like to have these exciting Watergate trials, <laughs> uh, the, the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee uh, trials with, with Frank Church. We would like to have the Iran-Contra mm-hmm. uh, committee uh, hearings, you know, th- th- this can be summer fair. Uh, and, and if we can get if we can get that to happen, where there's a lot mm-hmm. of congressional hearings going on, especially if the if the Congress people are not really in control of the process, mm-hmm. they very seldom ever agree to allow their instrumentalities be, to be utilized to actually investigate anything mm-hmm. or to run any risk whatsoever of uh, that information mm-hmm. is going to be coming out to the American people that isn't to their personal benefit politically, and so that we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But something's possible. I just want to ask Grant. Do you have a question for Danny? Because uh, he's going to Washington on Wednesday to have a meeting with the Inspector General, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that will maybe open up the case. With uh, do you have anything you want to say? Because I also have other questions. I know you have to go. I just, soon. I just have to, Bob, Bob Brown wants me to go down okay. and listen to the, the next speaker. So oh, 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 I just okay. have to be here. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Grant. Yes, well, no, just maybe one to give us a, an idea of um, how many investigations are being uh, held and because it's not just the one, right? There's well, Lou Elizondo has a 60 page. And the other question I had is, are you the main person? Because I'm sure Lou Elizondo wouldn't have been able to file his 60 page thing without you. Are you, are you the main guy that's uh, sort of uh, setting stuff up? And, and how many investigations are there in terms of what well, you want to? I can say that, that Lou and I worked together uh, on his complaint uh, that he was filing. And uh, there, there are about four different uh, divisions or subdivisions inside the inspector general's office that are actively involved in what they are framing as evaluations. Uh, and that the, there's the one that uh, was in direct response to Lou, uh, that they had an initial response uh, from the whistleblower retaliation uh, subdivision. Uh, then there was a second one that contacted him uh, because some of the actions that were taken against him were after he was employed. Uh, and so that it wasn't technically inside the jurisdiction of the whistleblowers because you had to still be employed to be filing your complaint. Uh, there was another one that we're going to be meeting with on Wednesday, which is the space missiles uh, and a nuclear uh, division. And then there's the one that issued the May, uh, the May 3rd memo, uh, the very same day that uh, Lou filed his complaint. Uh, another division, which is a space intelligence uh, uh, division, uh, is- issued a memo uh, saying that they were going to be undertaking an evaluation to actually determine or to evaluate the, the, uh, the degree of activities that have been undertaken by the Defense Department relating to the UAP phenomenon. That's much more, that's much broader. And they actually felt compelled on the face of the memo to say, and we may expand uh, the actual scope of our evaluation as the process goes on. Uh, And they began to elucidate what some of the the military uh, units are that they were going to be investigating or evaluating. And they also said that they may expand that to include additional ones. So that what you've got there, you've got four different 
uh, uh, sub-agencies inside the Inspector General's office all engaged in some type of, quote, evaluation process about the UAP phenomenon. What I've said a number of times is that whatever, what is, whatever it is they're going to do is going to be completely dependent upon what the American people and the press do. If, if, the, if the American people start getting really interested in this and demanding that they look into this more, and the press are, are pressing on them to find out what they're doing, are they going to stage a real investigation about this? Uh, the more of that that goes on, the broader they're going to, they're going to go. Uh, but as of, as of right now, I've, I've laughed about it. I've actually said it a couple of times. I said it to, to uh, uh, Blumenthal, Ralph Blumenthal, the New York Times the other day when he and I were talking. I said, you know, that it, it, rem it reminds me very much of the uh, the movie Chinatown, uh, that where in Chinatown, uh, Jake Giddis, who's Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson character, is asked by uh, Evelyn Mulray, the uh, Faye, Faye Dunaway character. She said, well, uh, what did you do before you became a private investigator? And he said, I was a, a detective for the Los Angeles Police Department assigned to Chinatown. And she said, well, what did you do? And he said, as little as possible. He said, as little as possible. And she said, well, why is that? He said, well, because you couldn't always tell what was going on in Chinatown. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what's happening right now. I think that the various uh, subdivisions of the Inspector General's Office are trying to do as little as possible mm -hmm. because they can't tell what's going on right. uh, inside the Defense Department. They can't tell whether the protocols have changed. They can't tell what it is they really ever knew about. They can't tell whether they know about anything or, or nothing. Uh, they don't know what's going on here. And they don't want to be the ones that push to find out mm. because historically anybody who's been pushing to find out what's been going on inside the United States government about the UFO issue has been excoriated uh, and their careers have been destroyed mm. so that they're still operating under the old paradigm uh, of, you know, please don't don't say anything about this. You know, that, that, I mean, we would have we would have Navy pilots who were surrounded by these things flying all around them and, and going at like 43,000 miles an hour everywhere, and they didn't even dare report it mm -hmm. uh, because they knew from all of their friends, if you ever try to report this, the first thing that happens is you get sent to get a psychiatric exam. And they used to send it to John Mack, who I also <laughs> represented about this issue. You know, so that's, we, don't, we don't know yet. Will we ever know who that person is or organization that's putting, that's been suppressing this since 47? And will we get back to 47? in these hearings I'm, 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 I'm planning on finding out right yeah you're, you're planning on, but that means tracing it back to the whole roswell or before even yes, and yes. so and yeah, it does and is there really a trail that leads back there there's always a trail there is there's always <laughs> a trail uh the question is being able to track it you know Can I ask a personal question yes sure yeah sure. Uh, danny you started out you wanted to be an astronaut is, is this going to be the highlight of your career in terms of where you are right now have you always waited for something like this? Well, I've, I've always been assuming that this time would come uh, when we would actually get to this investigation, uh, because it's, what's necessary is to have an adequate base uh, from which to do an investigation, that there's adequate forums uh, that are going to be listening, that there's adequate news coverage that's being covered, there's an adequate interest on the part of the uh, American people. You have to have all of these things functioning before you can actually engage in a case or an investigation that's going to bring about significant change. Uh, and so this, this one has been uh, broiling for some time, uh, for 75 years now, uh, that... Uh, I was I was uh, uh, let's see I was two years old when Roswell happened. So 
you know, and I wasn't paying much attention to it at the time, uh, but it didn't take me long to find out about it. As soon as I discovered what stars were, and I realized, whoa, look at this. There's all right. these other star systems of suns and planets going around. I mean, you know, this is really foolish what we're doing down here to each other. Uh, doesn't somebody have a little higher perspective on what's going on? Uh, so um, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm delighted to. to no, if, if Daryl had anything, he would uh, like to. I just wanted to say, first of all, it's a pleasure to meet you, Dan, and I really, I'm speaking for myself, but I think I'm probably speaking on behalf of all of us when I say I really deeply appreciate your efforts on behalf of this whole subject, and uh, anything that gets anyone talking about this more, I think is really important, so I just want to say thank you so much for what you're doing. Yeah, same here, absolutely. Carolyn Corey is awesome. But is there anything yeah. you, you would want to tell Danny to say to the guys in Washington based on your perspective, Daryl or, or Carolyn? I mean, because you have this 38-year relationship with these beings, and so you're sort of a bridge. Well, <clears throat> I the only thing I can think of at the moment is the old chestnut of scientists saying look aliens are very alien and we don't really know how they think but we know exactly how they're going to communicate with us and yet when you give them something that's outside the box they say no that's not right we we know exactly it's going to be by radio it's going to be this it's going to be that i would just suggest the idea in some way shape or form is just to be open to being aware that there may be more avenues for contact than we think and just to be aware that those avenues may actually be more prominent for them than they are for us um so just just that idea going along it's not even anything you necessarily have to say to anyone but just the idea that that it's not necessarily going to come over the radio it's not necessarily going to be the sci-fi scenario um and that way they can sort of be maybe more open to looking around and seeing what might actually represent other forms of communication that that's my only suggestion but it's a completely up it has to be a public discussion Right. Thank you. It has to be all out on the table so we can actually look at it together from a scientific, psychological, sociological, mm -hmm. techno technological point of view. And that's is that your vision, Danny, and for the future of this discussion? We'll we'll see that, that I, I think that the the institute that we're, we're talking about. Uh, given the, the access to technology now of being able to have something like the observation deck uh, campus where they have different uh, little little colleges, basically. People have their own little uh, rooms and workshops and, and avatars and they can go into the conference room together and have the, from a technological point of view, we can we can have a repository to bring information into a single place uh, where the differing uh, ufo groups and individual researchers etc can each set up their little shops and start presenting this stuff in some sort of a comprehensive way uh that we we have a physical facility up in clear lake uh you know just 100 miles north of san francisco where where there's a physical facility perhaps down the road sometime you know once once the once the constituencies get built up uh, and there's adequate interest in and in having physical gatherings about these things but it, at, the, at the outset to to work with the kind of technologies that are available and start getting the information into one centralized place where a lot of the people in the country as they start to become more and more interested in being quote allowed being authorized to look into this mm -hmm. subject where there can be a place like for example 
uh, Jordy Peace, who has the metaphysical, the World Metaphysical Library uh, up in, uh, in Ashland, Oregon. He's got access there to almost every video, the interview that's ever been conducted, every conference, every kind of interview, uh, every book that's been written. You know, and if we can get them up online and, and funnel them through something like the Observation Deck to have a have have a, the Road Metaphysical Library there. You know, put it up online so people can actually get access to that information themselves so that we can we can generate a, a dynamic within the American public and in the world where people are really anxious to find out about this, where they really want to, for example, where uh, each of your experiences where you can you can be interviewed about them like you probably already have been bunches of times but be interviewed about them and, and set forth your story in its totally credible way so people can get access to it there because a lot of the people who come from you know a position of not knowing a lot about this they would say holy mackerel i listened to this one woman and she was so credible you know she didn't have antenna you know or tinfoil <laughs> hats or anything and uh, and we was talking about having these experiences you know, I believed her, and that's how people are going to get moved. It is true. It is true that the the one major thing that can move people uh, is a direct experience themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, right. And but but there's going to be people who are going to come in and, and volunteer for the for the diplomat program to be adequately trained. There's going to require discipline, study. You know, you can't just say, "Oh, here, you're volunteering to go meet with the UFO people. Here, let's get you up on a ship and talk to them." You know, I mean, we we got to be a little more circumspect than that. No, but what about rolling out in Congress? You know, Eric Davis in the July 24th New York Times 2012 said, "Yeah, he briefed members of Congress on crash retrievals." Well, that's the time saying that are we close to any of that? Because it's already been out in the paper. We'll, we'll see. The, we'll the, see. A, a lot of it has to do with how the New York Times covers this, how 60 Minutes covers it, mm. how the evening news, whether MSNBC gets it. It's, it's clear that Fox News, strangely enough, uh, you know, I know. the people are really are yeah. really on top of this thing. It's also uh, been on CNN. We've got to get several times. It's yeah. been on CNN several times. Yeah. So, so we. Yeah, we've got to right. get, get the people involved in this. We've got to make this as exciting as a as a World Series, uh, or as you know the next the next chapter of Game of Thrones. You know that you, you have to get people interested and excited about wanting to know about this. It's an exciting subject. Well, Grant says it's the Super Bowl of all stories. So mm -hmm. you and Mark are presenting a people's platform, right? So that's a, I know you have to go. Yeah. But what does that consist of? Real? I mean, in a way, it's up to all of us. Everyone here. Yeah. Everyone listening. What does it take? What do you vision to create this platform? Well, I, I that that, uh, that actually Mark uh, is going to be instrumental uh, in this. He's helping to conceive of how this can be done virtually. Uh, but but I, but I I need to run. Let him. I know. Let him I know. Okay. Thank, I can answer that. I, thank thank you so trouble. much for everything. Yes. You are our guy in Washington, Danny. You know, guy in Washington. No, really. Right. You, you're you're yeah. speaking for the American people. All of us who've been at this for so long. I, I'm. Uh, I'll do my very best. Well, you uh, will. Absolutely. <laughs> That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, 
watch this space. And thank you so much for listening.